Should I hit snooze? What am I gonna wear today? What's for breakfast? Grande or venti? Are we there yet? What should I do today? Should I ask her out? What should I say? What car should I buy? How am I gonna pay the electric bill? Do I have enough groceries to get through the week? Am I good enough? What are they going to think? Why are things so hard? Can anyone really love me? Can Jesus really be the answer to every question? Played in a, at a charity golf tournament this week, and uh, the charity was to to benefit children. and uh, And see, he told me that within every foursome, they they paired them up with a, a child that would play with them. And so Scott's group was paired up with a ten year old, a kid that was going into the fifth grade this fall. And uh, if you don't typically play golf, if you haven't played, a typical round of golf will last anywhere, especially in a tournament setting like that, anywhere between like four and five hours. So you can imagine four or five hours of golf with a fifth grader that asked a lot of questions, right? Like, how far is it to the next hole? What kind of ball is that? What kind of club are you gonna use? What club should I use? Can I use your club? What's for lunch? Can I have your lunch? Do you have any more food, right? Uh, do you, can I drive the golf cart? Like question after question after question. And, and, and he said, dude, he said, it was the longest five hours of my life, right? Uh, this kid just, uh, he was great, but he said, just asking these questions, which, which really got me down to that one question though. I'm like, did you let him drive the golf cart? And he said, yes, he wore me out, right? Like I totally let him drive the golf cart. If you've spent any time with kids, you know that kids love to ask questions. It reminds me of the, the seven-year-old, right? That asked his mom one day and said, are there more leaves in the world or blades of grass? And the mom said, blades of grass. And he said, well, are there more trees or are there more buildings? And she said, uh, I think trees. He then said, well, are there more bricks or are there bird feathers? And she said, why don't you tell me about that castle you built in Minecraft, right? Like anything to try and distract her. The daughter that said, why is your tummy big, mommy? And she said, well, I'm expecting a child. And she said, well, where's the child? She said, it's in my tummy. You ate the child, right? Like, like we understand this. Growing up, Ty used to ask a, a lot of questions. And uh, I remember one time he was driving in the car. Laura told me this. He was driving in the car and he was asking her questions and she answered his question. And then he said, mommy, that's not the answer you gave last time. We only had one kid, right? Because at that point we realized he was smarter than we were. <laughs> like we couldn't raise a rebellion out of this. And so we all ask questions. We do it in our lives. What should I wear today? Who should I hang out with? What's my future going to look like? What job should I take? Can I have a different job? Will I ever get a job that I like, right? Will my kids turn out normal? Why are they smarter than me? Uh, sometimes we ask questions with regard to our spiritual life. When I die, will I go to heaven? Or why does a good God allow pain and suffering to happen in this world? Sometimes it's philosophical questions. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Or if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it still make a sound? Or if a man is by himself in the forest and he speaks, is he still wrong, right? We could go on and on with questions that we ask all the times in our lives. Jesus 
asks a lot of questions. In fact, when you read the Gospels, you'll see that in, in so many interactions, dozens and dozens of interactions that he had with people, he was always asking them questions. And see, what I believe is that Jesus wasn't asking questions because he didn't know what the answer was. He was asking questions to help people grow in their faith. See, I believe this. I would propose that all questions come from one of two sources. They either come from God or they come from Satan and his minions, right? Like that's, the, that's the source of all questions in our lives. The questions that Satan asks, they tend to come through different sources. Maybe it's through our sin nature. Right, the desires that we have inside of us to want things our way, to, to wanna be comfortable, to wanna be uh, happy or whatever it is that, that we want, not caring about the, the needs of others. Maybe it's through our fallen world, right? Maybe it's through culture or education, maybe entertainment or our relationships, the opinions of others around us. Maybe sometimes those questions come through the form of temptations, things in our lives that, that we are tempted to do, tempted to give in to. See, Satan's questions are always there to produce doubt. That's the point of questions that he puts in our minds. When Satan is introduced to us in, in Genesis chapter three, the very first time that we see him, right, the very first thing that comes out of his mouth is a question. And in fact, I think it's still the number one question that he asks, did God really say that? Did God really mean that? And those are questions that continue to roll through our minds. Did God really say that? Does he really mean that? Does God really wanna take that away from you? Is this the best that he wants to give to you? See, not all questions are good. If you have a question in your mind and it's producing doubt for you, then you know where it is coming from. See, all of our questions, I think, are influenced by something around us. All of us are, are questions that way. If you're questioning right now whether you should believe me, I would propose that that's Satan, right? That he's, he's putting that doubt in your mind right now. But God also asks us questions. God asks us questions all the time. Again, you go all the way back to Genesis 3. After Adam and Eve had this encounter with Satan and after, after they had sinned, it says that God showed up in the garden and he asked this question, where are you? See, it wasn't a geographical question. It wasn't a, a location question. It was a, a heart question. See, God asks questions to produce faith in our lives. So every time we see Jesus asking questions, they're always there to produce faith. They're always there to grow us. So in this series, we're gonna take a look at and we're gonna try and answer four big questions. Lots of questions that Jesus asked, but four that we're gonna take a look at. Today, we're gonna talk about who do you say I am? A question that Jesus asked, not just to the disciples, but he's asking to us today. Next week, we're gonna talk about this. We're gonna look at the question, do you wanna get well? Because we all have things in our lives, right? The issues or hangups or hurts that, that are just kind of still there. We're gonna talk about why do you worry? You don't have to worry about that. We got that one in, in a few weeks, right? And, and then we're gonna talk about how much does it cost? We're gonna talk about decision-making. But let's start with the first one. Let's start with that today. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. If you didn't bring your Bible, that's okay. Uh, we're gonna put the verses up on the side screens. You can uh, download and follow along in our app as well. Let me give you a little bit of background while you're turning to Matthew 16. This story takes place in a place called uh, Caesarea Philippi. Now, it's located about several miles north of the Sea of Galilee, about 120 miles from Jerusalem. 
And, and it's one of the more beautiful places in Palestine, or so I'm told. Pastor Mike has never taken me to Israel, so I don't know uh, for sure, but, but that's what I've heard, right? It's just this gorgeous place with groves of trees, grassy fields. In fact, the water for the city comes from a spring in a cave and it gushes out of the bluffs, right? It's this, it's this gorgeous, gorgeous place. It's also in a very strategic location. It's placed in a place where it can guard the plains where agriculture and things would happen. But it also seems to have been in the religious center of its earliest days. The Canaanites worship Baal there. They've discovered inside the, the caves a shrine that was dedicated to the, uh, to the god Pan. And the cave also has other statues showing that it was a, a center of pagan worship at one time. All of this creating a very interesting setting for Jesus' question. Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 13, says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, Jesus, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others still say Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. This is so great because this place was known for all of its God worship, right? Small g God worship. Jesus used it as a very relevant place to ask a question about his status, about his popularity, about his, his identity. What are the people saying about me? Am, am I trending on Twitter, right? Is a, what is the, what is the Women of Jerusalem Facebook page say about me? Because we know that everything, everything good is on, is on that page, right? And the, and the disciples answered with views of what the people were saying about who Jesus was. Some, they said, Jesus, some say that you're John the Baptist. Now, Herod, who was the, the Roman leader in that region at the time, he thought this. He thought that Jesus was John the Baptist who had come back to life. This was a problem for him because he had had John the Baptist beheaded. And so he was very nervous of who Jesus was. John the Baptist, though, was known as a very uh, well-known preacher. He gave sermons. He asked people to repent of their sins, and then, and then he baptized them. And so they said, some people think that that's who you are, Jesus. Others, others say Elijah. Elijah had performed some of the greatest miracles in the history of the Bible. He had shown at different times tremendous faith and a deep dependence on God. People believed that he was going to come back before the Messiah showed up. And so the disciples said, some, Jesus, some think that you're Elijah, that you've come back before the Messiah does. But others, others still think that you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Jeremiah, right? He, he was, according to Jewish legend, he was believed to be immortal because the Bible actually doesn't tell us how he actually died. And so Jeremiah was called by God to warn Jerusalem of how they were living their lives. He was, a, as a prophet, was a spokesperson for God to other people. And so this is what the people are saying, Jesus. Some say you're like John the Baptist, you're just a great teacher. Some say that you're like Elijah, you're, you're a miracle worker. Some say that you're like, you're like Jeremiah, that you're one of the prophets. And Jesus was like all three. We know that Jesus was an incredible preacher and teacher. In fact, all throughout the Gospels, it says that as Jesus taught, that people were amazed at the things that he would say, at the authority in which he taught from. But we know that he was a miracle worker. Story after story after story of Jesus constantly healing people and showing his power over nature, his control over nature and, and demons. And finally, he clearly was a, a spokesman for God. But Jesus has his own identity. Let's talk about Jesus for a few minutes. And I know we did this in, in the Explore God series, and so I'm just gonna give you a shorter version today. But Jesus, the name Jesus, right, it's actually taken from the Old Testament name for Joshua, which literally means Yahweh God saves. 
And, and Christ, right, Christ, in case you didn't know, that's not his last name. He never went to dinner and said, Mr. Christ, your table is ready for you, right? Like that, that's not what that was. It, it literally, literally meant the anointed of God. And so when you put all that together, Jesus is the anointed one of God who came to save God's people. He was born roughly 2,000 years ago in a, in a rural hick town, the kind of place where dudes would park their broken down camels on the front lawn and uh, where they believed like wrestling was real, right? And the, and the women chewed tobacco, right? And no offense if that describes you or your mom, right? I, I don't mean it. offense that way. It's just where Jesus was born. His mom, Mary, she conceived him as an unmarried teenage girl when God placed a child in her. That doesn't happen every day. He was adopted by a blue-collar carpenter named Joseph. And Jesus' life, up until around the age 30, was lived in, in relative obscurity. We really don't have a lot about Jesus' life. We know that he had other siblings. We know he had two brothers, uh, James and Jude, who went on to write books in the Bible. He went to school did things that, that other normal kids did, except for one thing, he was, he was perfect, which I'm sure didn't annoy his brothers at all, right? I, I'm sure that was an annoying thing. James and Jude had to buy their lunch at Chick-fil-A. Jesus took a nugget and turned it into a combo meal, right? Like, I, I, I'm sure this wasn't a big deal for them. And at the age of 30, he began his public ministry, which included preaching and teaching and healing and performing miracles. And ultimately, he was put to death because he continually said and he continually showed that he was God. His resume, very simple. He was never married, never had kids, never went to college, never, never ran in, in for any political office. He, he never ran a large company, never traveled more than a few hundred miles from his home, never went to a big city. And yet, Jesus is the most extraordinary, the most loved and hated, the most widely considered person in the history of the world. We even break history around his life. We celebrate his birth and his death in our calendar. And today there are a few billion people on the planet who worship Jesus Christ as God. But Paul warned us in 2 Corinthians 11. He said, there's gonna be some other perspectives of Jesus as well. A lot of different opinions, a lot of false Christs, a lot of false beliefs. And what Paul warned us is, has actually come true. Different religions believe different things about Jesus. If you were to ask a Muslim, they would say, prophet, yes, but God, no, 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 no. If you asked a practicing Jew, they would say, teacher, yes, but Messiah, no, 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 no. Jehovah's Witness, they would say that Jesus is a created being, that he's actually the archangel Michael. Mormons say that he's not eternal God. In fact, he was just a polygamist man who was the half-brother of, of Lucifer and became just one of many gods that are out there. A new ager would say that Jesus is a, a state of consciousness that, that we can all aspire to. And a Scientologist, if you ask them who is Jesus, they would say that he is a, an implant forced upon the Thetan about a million years ago. And so maybe you'd be wondering, Donnie, can you explain that to us? No, I, I can't. I've never done drugs, right? I don't know, I don't know what, I, I really don't know what that even, that even means. But here's what I, I do believe. I'm not sure that Jesus was really overly concerned about what other people said. Several times, right, in the Gospels, we see Jesus reading people's thoughts and, and their intentions. So I'm pretty sure it's a safe bet to say Jesus already knew what other people were saying and thinking about him. So his first question really had a different purpose to it. There, there was a different intention. See, this is the question that he really wanted to get his disciples to answer, and it's a question that he wants you and I to answer as well. Verse 15, but what about you? What about you guys? <laughs> right. Who do you say that I am? What's your answer 
to who is Jesus. See, it's your turn. I don't want you to hide behind other people's opinions and, and what other people think. I want you to wrestle with it. I want you to answer this for yourself. There is no question as important as this one that you will ever answer in your life because how you answer it impacts everything. It impacts your life now and for eternity. See, remember God puts questions in our minds to grow our faith. And that's the intention of Jesus' question here. And I love how Peter responds, verse 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. See, Peter responds with this great, great expression of faith. He says, Jesus, the answer is easy. You're, you're God. You're the creator of everything. You're the sustainer of everything. You are our savior. See, here's the, the cool part for, for some of us that are sitting here today. If you follow the life of Peter, he makes this bold statement about Jesus, but on several occasions, he proves that he didn't fully grasp what that even meant. He was constantly learning on the job, constantly messing up, but what he believed about Jesus was true and he trusted Jesus with his life. So you have to understand the people of Israel, they've been waiting for thousands of years for the Messiah. So to say that someone is the Messiah, the one that they have been waiting for, it is one of the greatest statements of faith that a Jewish man could make. Peter's saying, Jesus, you're the one. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You are God. You are our savior. And I wonder what the other disciples were thinking. Right, as Jesus asked this question and Peter begins to, to answer it, I wonder if they were like, Peter, Peter, don't, don't say anything, Peter, right? Don't represent us in this. Remember that time you said something and Jesus called you Satan as a result of it, right? Like, Peter, don't, Peter, just lay down and play dead, right? Like, don't answer this question. But look at what Jesus said. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Now the disciples are are giving Peter high fives, right? They're like, great answer, Peter. Like, we, we believed in you the whole time, dude. Like, we knew you were, we knew you were, gonna, you were gonna answer correctly. And Jesus says, Peter, you, you didn't just get lucky with this answer. You, you didn't phone a friend, right? This is, this is before WWJD bracelets, so that, that didn't help you out either. The, Peter, God revealed this to you. And Jesus affirms Peter's faith in, in three ways. And he shows three benefits of, of that come from believing in Jesus. By the way, these are our three benefits that apply to us as well. Hundreds of benefits. There's hundreds of benefits in the Bible. But if Jesus chose to put these three in attachment to, to putting your faith and trust in him, right, then there are probably three that we should talk about, three that we should understand and apply to our lives. And even though he's speaking to Peter, these are benefits that apply to us. Verse 18, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. On this rock, right? I love this. The rock is not the wrestler or actor, right? That's not who Jesus is talking about. The one with the big muscles that resemble mine. That's not who Jesus is talking about here. In fact, Jesus is calling himself the rock. He says, the work that I'm going to accomplish on the cross is the foundation for all of this. But then he says this, I will build my church. What does that mean? See, it wasn't just about Peter. It was actually about us as well. And, and it's not just something that happened back then. This is a statement that's still relevant thousands of years later. And it's definitely not about a building. It's about a gathering of people who are following Jesus and living their lives 
on mission with him. And Jesus is saying to Peter, I will build my church on your faith in me. And I love that Jesus used that word, I will build my church. He didn't say that, that I will create it. He said, I will build it. See, when God creates things, things happen instantly. He spoke creation into being. And when he spoke, right, it happened. When he breathes life into something, right, it happens instantly. But he chose the word build because he's building something. And building something takes time. It takes effort, it takes sacrifice, it takes sweat, it takes work in our lives. And so when you say you are putting your faith in Jesus, when you are saying that Jesus is your savior, you're saying, I understand that God, this is gonna take time. I understand that you want to build something in me and, and through my life. And I recognize that it's not gonna be easy. It's gonna be hard at times, but that's okay. That's just part of this journey. And I recognize that I am part of something way bigger than myself, that I'm a part of a family, that I now have this new purpose for my life, and that God, you want to do something in me. You want to build or grow something so that I become more and more like Jesus. See, the, the thing we need to understand is that God is aware that there's a gap between his perfection and, and our sinfulness. He's aware of that. There's this constant tension, I think, that we feel to try and close the gap, to try and make things more comfortable, right? To, to try and, and feel closer to God. And so sometimes we try to close that gap by lowering God's standards. Sometimes we ask that question, God, do you, do you really mean that? Is that really what you want me to do? Sometimes we try to close the gap by raising our performance levels. If I just try harder, if I just do more, if I'm just a, a better person or a better Christian. See, God does not demand perfection from you. God's not expecting you to measure up to be in a relationship with him. God never thought that you could live the Christian life on your own. If he did, he wouldn't have come to earth to die for you, but he did. See, God promises to build certain things in your life. He called them fruit. Things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the kind of things that God wants to build into our lives and build us into a family that lives on mission together. I love what Craig Rochelle, a pastor, said. He said, God is not calling us to go to church. He's calling us to be his church. But he's not done there. Jesus then says this, the, the gates of hell will not overcome it. What an incredible picture right, of how God wants us to live. When you put your trust in Jesus, guess what? You, you've already won, right? You've already won when you put your faith in Jesus. You are already forgiven. You've already been set free. You can be victorious in how you live your life. Your eternity is secure. All of those things are, are things that, that come when we put our faith in Christ. Sometimes when people picture the church, I think, I think sometimes we picture it like a fortress, Right? It's this place that we've got to go to. It's a place we've got to go inside of for, for protection from the world and from culture and from, from the evil around us. If we can keep sin and sinners on the outside and then just keep us saints on the inside protected. But that doesn't fit what Jesus is saying here. He clearly says that the gates of hell will not overcome it, will not overcome his church, will not overcome us. See, we don't hide. We don't live in fear. We don't live defeated lives because we've already won. You ever played a game with a child 
Right, when you play a game with kids, right, there's no pressure on that. There's no stress because you know that you're going to win, right? Because you're, you're just smarter than they are. And even if, if by chance they happen to be beating you or whatever and your, your toe accidentally hits the off button on the Xbox, right, and it goes off, and you, I don't know how that happened, right? But you're smarter. We, we know that we're going to win. But sometimes some of us choose, right? Sometimes we choose either to be soft, or, I mean compassionate, right? And to, and to let kids win, right? Which is I think why they all want participation trophies because, because they've learned that they, they win all the time. Or some of you play it on the opposite side. You, you play hard, right? You wanna dominate them because you wanna teach them life lessons, right? Things that they're gonna put into practice for the rest of their life, which is also why they want participation trophies because you never let them win growing up in, in anything. Ty won Christmas. He was probably about four years old, and, uh, and for Christmas, he got a table hockey game, which is uh, literally a, a game of hockey that you play on a, on a table. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not hard. It's just a Canadian thing, and uh, it's something that we have to do for the two and a half weeks of summer that we have. And so, um, and so I remember Ty was playing this Christmas. He was playing with my mom, and, uh, and Ty, ever since he was like super small, super, super competitive, right? Like second place is the first place loser. Like, like there is just, it's winning or, or nothing for him. And so he's playing my mom, and, and she, she won. And, uh, and I looked over, and the tears begin to well up in his eyes. The next thing I know, I hear sobbing. And so I turn to, to console him, and then I realized that it wasn't Ty that was sobbing. It was actually, it was my mom, right? It, my mom was sobbing because she felt bad for beating him and then for making him, for making him upset. She won, but she was living defeated. It's not the perfect illustration, but you get the point, right? Jesus has already won. And faith in him means that you've won too. We don't ever have to live defeated. Evil will not win. Now, I'm not ignoring it. I'm not taking it for granted. And in fact, if you wanna hear an incredible teaching on that, the teaching that Pastor Mike did this past January uh, called, in a series called Battle Tested, go back and listen to that. It's incredible. And, and, I'm, and I promise you, I'm not completely out of touch either. Although I did go shopping with Ty a few weeks ago and uh, I was considering getting some white vans. If you uh, think that I just described a motor vehicle, just hang on with me and come back. But it was shoes and, and, and I told him that I wanted some white ones and he just looked at me and he said um, that I couldn't. And I said, why? I said, why can't I get those? And, and he said, dad, just, just trust me. He said, I'm looking out for you. Which in translation meant that you're old and you're just not hip enough to, to pull that off, right? And, and I was like, have you seen teenagers with their high black socks and shoes like going around? I'm like, you don't understand, who's out of touch? Dads have been wearing that for decades, right? Like, I, I'm like, we're cooler than you think we are. Now I know it only takes about two minutes, right? To watch the news and to recognize that we are living in a dark and evil world. I'm not out of touch with that. And, and I get that it feels a lot of times like we're not winning. I feel that in my life. I, I feel it in the life of my family. But we have to step back. We have to take a look at the big picture and be reminded that victory is ours when we put our faith in Jesus. Verse 19, Jesus then said this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. See, here's the last benefit. Jesus says that I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus has just talked about gates, and now he talks about keys, right? The gates of hell, and now the keys to the kingdom. See, it takes a key to unlock a gate. These are some of the maybe more difficult verses to understand in the book of Matthew. 
And so we're gonna take a look, or we have to take a look at what Jesus didn't say and, and what, he, what he did say. See, one of the rules of Bible study is that when you come across a passage that's unclear and it's uncertain, that you have to look at it in light of other clear passages. You don't get to take a passage that's, that's unclear and make it mean anything that you want, especially if it contradicts something that the Bible already says. And so Jesus didn't say here that we have the power to do anything that we want to do. This isn't some kind of magical formula, right, that he's giving to us. Only God has the power to do anything. And the Bible clearly tells us that we need to live in dependence on God's power every single day of our lives. Jesus also isn't saying that we have the power to forgive people's sin. Jesus already did that. That was his job. That's not our job. And so what is Jesus saying with this? Well, here's a couple things. One is this, is that we have an incredible stewardship responsibility. See, we get to help people meet Jesus. In just a couple weeks, uh, Ty is gonna be going for his uh, driver's license. And um, he's a good driver. He isn't new car good, right? <laughs> like, he's like, I'm not buying him a new car. He, he, he's, he, when he gets his license, I'll give him access to my car, an 03 Pathfinder. That's about the, the level of good driver he is right now until he learns a little bit more. But I, I need to make sure that he understands it's not his car, right? I'm just trusting him with, with my car. And Jesus is basically saying the same thing. I'm trusting you with the authority to help others enter the kingdom of heaven. See, how you live impacts how others see and respond to Jesus. This is an incredible privilege and an incredible responsibility that God has given to us. Let me give you an illustration. Parents, right, when, when you leave and you, you go away for an evening for, on a date night or whatever it is, right, you leave your, your children at home uh, with a babysitter. We can all relate to that, whether you're a parent or whether you're a child, right, that's had a babysitter or maybe you've been the, the babysitter. The parent still has all of the authority, right? They never, they never give up the authority of being a parent. But for a few hours, they share that authority with the babysitter. And so when the parent leaves, they leave rules, right? That they can have a snack, but no drinks after nine o'clock or they will wet the bed, guaranteed, right? And so those are the rules that are in place. And so the babysitter becomes the acting parent. They're not the, the real parent, right? They can't take them across the border, right? They're, they're not gonna pay for college, right? They're, they're just acting as the parent in that moment. They make decisions to help the kids. And so they say, hey, you can have two cookies. And, and the kids will say, well, mom gives us three Dad actually gives us four, right? Can we, can we have more? Okay, okay, fine. You can have three cookies, right? They're binding. They're saying yes to something. But then they say, hey, this is your last chance to have a drink because you can't have a drink after nine o'clock. They're loosing something. They're saying no to something. You know what happens at 9.30, right? Is that the, the kid comes out from his bedroom and says, I'm thirsty. And when I was growing up, the answer was simple. It, it was tough. It's, it's good for you. A little dehydration never killed anybody. And I'm like, really? I'm not sure that's true, right? But I, okay, right? But the, the babysitter, they're placed in a place where they make a decision. They choose to do what's best for the child. How they live their life matters. When you put your faith in Jesus, how you live matters. Because people around you are watching and they're seeing. We represent Jesus to them. And so how you act and how you talk should be attractive to them and draw them closer to that relationship with him. So let's wrap up this first question. Who do you say Jesus is? What's your answer to that? Everything rises and falls on the answer to, to this question. It is the most important question you will ever answer in your life. Who is Jesus to you? Was he just some guy in history? Or is it just a good teacher that we're still talking about a couple thousand 
years later? Was he just a miracle worker that we still call out to when things go sideways in our lives and, and we pray that God will intervene, that God will, will show up? Or was he who he said he was? John 5, 18 says this, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he talking about Jesus breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. All kinds of times, Jesus clearly claimed to be God. John 14, 6, Jesus said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to get to God is through faith in Jesus. See, one day, one day each of us is going to stand in front of God and we're gonna have to answer that question, who do you say Jesus is? And how you answered here on earth will be your answer in that moment. And there won't be a chance to change your mind or to change your answer. Maybe the clearest example of this decision came while Jesus hung on the cross. Just before his death and resurrection, there was two thieves hanging next to him, one on either side. And in Luke 23, it says this, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. But the other criminal rebuked, don't you fear God, he said. Since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. See, my desire is for you to be, to be confident, not just in, in terms of, of where you're gonna spend eternity, that you're gonna spend it with God. That's, that's a big deal. But I also want you to be confident in the life that you live here on earth, that God will build his church in and through you, that you can live confidently and, and victoriously, and that others will be drawn to Jesus through the way that you live your life. But that only happens by answering like Peter and like that criminal that was on the cross next to Jesus by saying, you are the Messiah. Son of the living God. Do you believe that Jesus is, is everything? Do you believe that Jesus is enough for you? Do you believe that nothing is impossible for him when he's working in your life? Who do you say Jesus is? How you answer that's very important. And it's going to impact what we talk about over the next three weeks. Next week, we're gonna ask the question, do you wanna get well? And that might seem like a kind of a ridiculous question, but there are things, there are habits, there are areas in all of our lives that if we're honest, we're, we're not well in. And they've been there for a long, long time and we don't know what to do about that. Then in week three, we're gonna talk about, we're gonna look at the question, why do you worry? Because we all do it, whether it's our, our future or finances or family or friends or whatever it might be, right? That Jesus has an answer for that too. And then finally, we're gonna talk about the question or we're gonna answer the question, how much does it cost? how to make decisions that best honor God and lead toward the results that we desire in our lives. Will you bow with me as we pray? God, this is the most important question that we will ever have to deal with in our lives. Who do we say you are, Jesus? Father, for those that are here today and, and maybe, maybe they're just not sure Maybe they're still just, just checking out the whole God thing. Maybe they've got more, more questions and they feel like they have answers right now. God, that, that's great. Father, we're, we're so grateful that they're here. Father, I pray that you in this week, these coming weeks through this series, Father, that you'll begin to put questions in their minds that draws them to you. Questions in their minds 
that Father will, will continue to grow and to build faith to a point that they're able to put their trust in you. Father, I pray for those that are here today that, that are at all of our campuses this weekend who are ready to make that decision, that today are sitting here saying, I want that. God, thank you for loving me that much. I want that relationship with you. I want that confidence. I want that victorious life. God, if that's, if that's someone sitting here today, someone at one of our campuses, where they just pray, just, in the, just pray in the quiet of your heart. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for me. And that through his death and through his resurrection, that I can be forgiven of my sins, that I can be set free, and that I can have a relationship with you. And if you've prayed that prayer, it's not a magical prayer. It's just simply putting our trust in you, Jesus, and answering the question that you are God, you are the Messiah, you're my savior. Father, if there's many of us, many of us here that believe that, we've prayed that, God, I pray that you help us to live that. And Father, every single day we continue to ask our question, where we continue to answer that question. Who do we say you are? Are you big enough for the problems that we face? Are you big enough for the, the trials in front of us? Are you big enough for the stresses? Are you big enough for our, our financial issues? Are you big enough for, uh, for our relationships? God, are you still God in all of those things? We say that you are. Will you help us to live in faith, putting that into practice every single day of our life? God, we thank you that we can live confidently and boldly, build your church in and through us. And help us, God, use us to help others find you as a result. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of the great things God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download our app to find ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. 